as the flashlight came up to their face, the, the man said, it's completely monotone and creepy voice. Would you please turn out the light? The stones are slowly inching closer and closer together. And when they do touch the wall, Strange Familiars podcast. We cover a range of topics from the paranormal to cryptids to the occult to mythology and folklore. Some of our shows will be presented over multiple episodes, while others will be one-shot features. We do our best to put out new shows every other week. I'm Anthony Hoskin. And I'm Timothy Renner. Please make sure to like and subscribe to us wherever you're listening, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, or via any other service. If you have an idea for any strange stories you would like us to cover, or if you have experienced something strange yourself, please contact us by email, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash strangefamiliars. If you like what we're doing, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. We have lots of different subscriber levels, starting at $3 and going up from there, With different rewards, things like buttons, stickers, t-shirts, copies of our book, all kinds of stuff. But $3 a month will get you bonus content. We do bonus episodes specifically for our patrons, and we try to throw some other bonus content there as well. That's patreon.com forward slash strangefamiliars. Every bit helps, and we thank the patrons who have already signed up. Yeah, the more patrons we have, the more content we can make. That means both the regular bi-weekly show and patron-only shows. So thanks again, patrons. Thank you. So we just got back from a road trip to the 10th Annual Butler Paranormal Conference. Yes, we had a good time there. I was out in Butler, Pennsylvania, which is way out west, almost in Ohio. It's a long drive for us. Yeah, it was uh, that, that drive on the turnpike is not very fun. It's just not a lot to look at. No, not at all. Two and a half hours. And it's expensive. The tolls are expensive. Ridiculous. Thanks, PA Turnpike and uh, (laughs) Pennsylvania government. But uh, it was worth it. We had a good time. It was good to talk to people. We got to meet some people. Yes, we met uh, Stan Gordon. Stan Gordon, big influence 
of mine as far as uh, paranormal research. Guy's been doing it for 58 years, I believe it was. Uh, you know, since that's bef- as long that's that's as long as my dad's been alive. To say it's before I was born. Can you imagine? No, that's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Stan was a, just a great guy. He didn't have a lot of time. You know, he had his, his own table there, but yeah. he took some time to talk to us. Super kind, just just great guy all around. And he told us that he was going to come on a certain podcast. Yeah, I wonder what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Strange Familiars. We'll be getting Stan Gordon on uh, at some point in the future. we got to work out a good time for all of us. So. Very excited about that. Yeah, that, that's a win. We'll put that in the win category for us. Uh, the the speakers in general were were good. I think there was one speaker that we didn't like as much, and we'll just leave it at, at that. We don't need to bash him or anything on here. But uh, yes, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Otherwise, uh, it was good time. It was got to meet a lot of nice people. One in particular, want to give a shout out to Kevin. Yes, Kevin, thank you very much for uh, coming out and and for speaking to us. That really uh, made my day. It's nice to get real-world feedback instead of internet feedback. You know, you get to shake somebody's hand. It's, it's different than just a, all feedback is nice. Yeah. All comments are nice, and you can't meet everybody, so we do value any feedback at all. But we've certainly seen nice comments online, but it's different to, to have somebody shake your hand and, and, and tell you face-to-face. It's very nice. Yeah, it just made my day. He was a, a great guy. So thanks again, Kevin. So here we are, episode five, Haunted Roads. Moving right along. We're going to talk about some specific Haunted road stories. We'll have Thomas Wade on coming up, and he'll tell some specific stories. But for the first part of the episode, we're going to kind of talk more about the concept of Haunted Roads and, and the idea of the symbolism of roads. upon the ruins of a mill we think it's a mill probably yeah most likely i don't know what else it could be it's right along otter creek in york county pennsylvania and there is what seems to be an old road that led to the mill probably uh wagons only at mm-hmm. that point and Wait. while we don't know that it's haunted we wanted to talk about some the ideas of, of roads and and abandoned places. You get very few ghost stories in general about modern places. You, here and there, they'll they'll pop up. You'll see, you know, a haunted house that's built in the seventies or something. Yeah, there just wasn't enough life going on, living and dying there. You know, on, on more modern in more modern places. Unless you know, there's a horrible car accident or something, and then people attribute, I guess, a certain energy to that. When we're talking about roads, what really sparked my my interest in it was, well, obviously I was interested in Toad Road before, mm-hmm. but I hadn't thought of it so much as a road. As a, It was just an area where strange stuff happened. But when I went on Coast to Coast AM and the host made a comment about all the closed roads in York County. Yeah, why are there all those closed roads, I think he said, right? Yeah, yeah and, and I don't think he meant it in 
in a in the deep way in which it sounds. Although I, I'm not, I don't mean to not give him credit if he did. Yeah, I think he, it was a casual question, but I like why are they closing all these roads? What happened to them? Or? Yeah, and, and and I took it as a very just a casual question. Mm-hmm. But when he said roads have to go somewhere, it just it seemed like such a deep sort of statement to me that that it, it kind of reverberated with me. That made me kind of look at the idea of of these closed roads and abandoned roads. And I know the the main topic is is haunted roads, but I think I think it all plays in because I don't know if I firmly believe that when we talk about hauntings that we're necessarily talking about spirits of the dead. You know, maybe. But what these roads conjure in the minds of people, even if there was no uh, residual uh, energy or entity, so uh, what makes these what makes people bring up these images or conjure these images in their heads right you get these sort of road symbolism throughout folklore i guess where i mention uh, again and again about the robert johnson and the crossroads yeah. and as uh, anna pointed out in england there was the f- there was the uh bearing of the suicides at the crossroads I think maybe criminals as well, but I, I couldn't really find much about that. Yeah I, yeah, I think they put gallows at crossroads too, often. I don't know if always, but... The, the theory there, at least one of the theories, was that they, uh, the towns were so few and far apart and they would put them at you know the perimeter or the entrance of their town to say, I think this isn't accepted here, or something of that nature. But this was, this was kind of a, a shaming after death. Put the suicides here and say, hey... <laughs> we don't accept this, and you now are being punished in the afterlife for this. Not even your remains get to be with the yeah, with the normal folk, the people who didn't, you know, break that law. I don't think roads could become haunted without that the sort of underlying symbolism of roads. You know, you get the idea of the lonely road and the person walking down the road at night, and Ichabod Crane with the you know riding the road with the horseman following him. And yeah. Well, everybody, you know, as, as they travel through life, they have to travel through roads and paths. And I guess that in your travels, you find things in yourself where you, you know, then it becomes attributed to where you were at that time. And you put a, a certain significance there, maybe. I guess it seems obvious, but it, it almost becomes just this ultimate symbol of the in-between. You yeah. Know, you're, you're going from one area to another. Which is what we're doing in life, going from, from point A to point B. Most of us. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us. Some are firmly entrenched at point A or B and refuse to move. Yeah. I think that, but that nails it kind of, the in-between. And everybody has to travel these roads. And, and um, it's still interesting to me when we talk about if nothing happened there, if nothing happened in a particular place, as you mentioned, the witch tree from your childhood. We don't know that anything happened there, but, you know, people said something happened there, attributed it to something, and then everybody comes to know it as this kind of mystical thing. It was alongside a road. (laughs) Right alongside a road. And and a creek, if we're keeping record. Say there's a plane crash, though, Mm -hmm. right? Do you don't often... Now, there's not... As nearly as many plane crashes as automobile crashes, so you know it's kind of not an empirical thing. But I'm just sort of expanding on the idea of roads. I don't know that you're going to get a haunted area where there was a plane crash. 
Yeah, and I think you kind of hit that when you said there's not as many. Uh, people don't fly as much as they, you know, whether walk or, or drive these, these roads. So... You don't think it's the idea that, that people are physically on a road traveling, exactly. whether walking or, or, or in a car, and then the accident happens, and then these, these hauntings get attributed to the road, as opposed to, you know, a plane dropping out of the sky, wherever it lands is that is that area haunted I, I'm, I'm just wondering yeah they're not talking about the sky in between they're not talking about how far they flew right you know? I'm sure there's stories of ghost planes the way there are ghost ships but they're going to be presumably in the air you know yeah like that's because that's where they travel yeah but I think that's interesting too if you think if a plane does crash and something's attributed to it then it's not often talked about the haunted sky, you know, in between right. as roads are. You know, if a crash happens on a road, the whole road, the whole path, you know, can become a place of mystery. Yeah, well, I guess it gives it it gives it a home in that sense. I'm just trying to sort of step out of the idea that something happened on this road and therefore it's haunted. You, you know, something something that someone can remember happened. And I'm not yep. saying that's not a legitimate way of thinking. I'm just saying, like, because I think several of these stories, you know, going back to obviously one of my favorite local subjects that, that everyone will know from episodes one, two, and three, <laughs> go back to Toad Road. When I wrote the book, the idea that the insane asylum and the things that didn't happen there were the popular idea was very bothersome to me. You know, most of the the first half of the book was dedicated to to sort of correcting that. You know, there was not an insane asylum. There was not this. There was not that. There was no mad doctor. What part of that bothered you? Was it why did they conjure that story? Well, obviously it wasn't the truth, so you wanted to to debunk that. I think I was, at that point, I was very interested in finding whatever truth or, or reality the legends might be rooted in. As time has moved on, and, and it's not been a lot of time, you know, it's been a year since the book's been published, but obviously we're looking at a lot more of these kinds of things. I want to find the truth. I want to find the real story about these places. I think that's important. It's, it's very important. But at the same time, the idea that people put so much energy into these other stories and that maybe they're experiencing things that aren't part of history as we know it, you know, the reality... Are you talking maybe different, different plane thing or different? You know? Well, that's what I'm trying to sort out. I'm trying to sort out whether they're summoning things in a sense by by concentrating all this energy on these reports of, of things that that maybe didn't happen there. And Thomas White, when we interview him coming up, he talks about a road where several things happen and very few of them they can prove. I think he said there's one accident they can prove. A lot of them are, are things that. Like someone said that there was a cult that was back there. Someone said, you know, this happened there or that happened there. So you, these are things that are next to impossible to prove unless you stumble upon the right newspaper article or or unless it's something like an insane asylum where you can obviously, you know... Yeah, there go, would be records. Yeah, you could trace records and so forth. For but, me, it's, it's... But yet people are claiming strange things happen. And they're relative... Well, they're not always relative to the story. It's not always like they see a haunted car coming at them or, or, or something like that. But st- weird things will happen. I, I see what you're saying about the conjuring part. That I think I take it back a step for what interests me, and that's why it's, once again, the archetype thing, which I've mentioned, I think, it probably in, in at least two episodes. I'm the Bigfoot guy. You're the archetype yeah, guy. Yeah, right? 
I don't know if it's if it's the archetype or just general psychology, but I don't know. I want to know why, in the absence of events, why people need to in their in their mind's eye to to conjure these images, and then you take it a step after that, and is does the conjuring produce a result? I think is is something we talked about before. Something you talked about on on Soraya's podcast was was the conjuring thing, and. Are you making those things happen? Whether so, then you have you you have two steps there. You have the the psychology of why, and then where it goes from there. If that makes any sense, I don't know. It does. But people need these haunted roads. People, they, they do. So, oh, <laughs> there's a few now. As we're talking, there are uh, quite a few, quite a few uh, vultures have decided to join us. One of your best metaphors, you talk about the kid in the in the white, in the white room. That's the, for me the archetype thing. Yeah, who's who's never been exposed to anything. Well, yeah, well, if you can completely isolate a child from from birth, and you give him a crayon, I think at some point in his life he's going to draw the things that people always talk about. He's going to draw the the things that have been around. People have been drawing for ages now. The the spaceship type thing. The, the, the big the big hairy the big creature. hairy guy and. How is that explained? What's the science behind that? You know what I mean? Like, you can ask what the psychology is, but then how does science prove that? How does science say, why does this, why does this happen? Why does this kid do that? What is embedded deep into our, our minds that seems to, for, you know, centuries since, you know, we've existed, since, pe- since people existed, we've all been flowing towards the same, uh, the same spot, the same archetypes, figures, ideas people need them for some reason and also there's religion <laughs> right you know? and i think the religious would very much like to separate religion from the paranormal i'm I not don't. so sure they're very different yeah, I, I don't i think if you have a mystical view of the world as many religious people do it's a very paranormal view of the world you just have a set of a different set of names and rules exactly Thomas White coming up says the difference between folklore and science I think is a really good quote. He says science can give you answers but it can't give you meaning. Yes, I agree with that completely. Yeah, I think that's probably as good a way as any of uh, putting a point on it. Talking with Thomas White, who's an author of several books about Pennsylvania folklore and other associated topics. How many books have you written, Thomas? I've written uh, 10 books over the past uh, seven years, I think. Most of them deal with uh, Pennsylvania folklore, legends, uh, supernatural tales of Pennsylvania, things like that. Is the easiest place for people to find them just go to Amazon or... Yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all these retailers. Uh, pretty much everywhere where you buy books. So. You also teach a course on folklore. Yes, I'm a uh, I'm an, uh, a professor. I'm, I'm a university archivist and curator of special collections at Duquesne University, and I teach history also at Duquesne and at La Roche College. And at La Roche College, I teach a course on folklore of Pennsylvania. Uh, I've also taught courses on things like. Ghosts and Witches of Pennsylvania, where we kind of look at 
stories about ghosts and witches in kind of cultural and historical context. So uh, I've been doing a lot of work with folklore probably for the past 20 years or so. I've really been working with it, um, trying to document the legends of Pennsylvania. This podcast is kind of a the place where folklore and, and the paranormal meet. Yeah. So how would you kind of define folklore? Well, that's kind of a hard, a hard line to demarcate, I guess. Um, and, and lots of people have the idea that if something's folklore, it's automatically not true. And that isn't the case. You know, folklore really deals with the culture of the people. Uh, you know, what they believe, what their kind of practices in life are, uh, what stories and legends are passed down. And so, you know, folklore is really kind of, in some ways, a form of history, maybe not a factual history, but a history of what people believe. So, um, you know, when I do this, I always see such an overlap in things like, say, the paranormal or supernatural and folklore and legends and, you know, actual historical happenings. And sometimes it's not always clear exactly, you know, what is what initially until you dig deeper. But they're not always mutually exclusive either. You know, people can have I, I, the way I always approach it is, you know, the folklore is always there. There's always a cultural interpretation of what's going on. There's always a historical interpretation. And that doesn't necessarily preclude people from having real supernatural experiences either. But, you know, trying to find where all these places overlap is is part of the you know the challenge and part of the fun, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I particularly enjoy the uh, like I said, the place where the two meet. It's very interesting to me. I kind of say the folklore and the and the paranormal they tend to hold hands, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Uh, people, people, you know, have always believed in in the supernatural and the paranormal, you know, since the very beginning of, of mankind. And uh, you know, I think even in this kind of age of science, people still turn to supernatural explanations because you know, science. And this isn't to necessarily criticize science, but science science can tell you why certain things happen, but it doesn't impart meaning to them. And so the supernatural imparts some some form of meaning, or at least, you know, that there's something beyond these kind of cold, rational facts. Right, and, and I think, you know, eventually we might be getting there as uh, quantum physics meets Jungian psychology. Yes, yes. We're going to be talking specifically today about your book, Haunted Roads of Western Pennsylvania. Is that your most, yes. re that's your most recent book? Yeah, that's my re most recent book. I'm I'm interested in the idea of kind of to start off with just talking about roads as symbols and and you talk a little bit about that in the book. It's kind of you know liminal places. Did you look much into that? Just just the idea of roads going into the book. Yeah, I think uh, you know haunted roads. We, we we picked that topic, and I've done books on witchcraft and other you know more traditional ghost stories and a variety of things. But, you know, haunted roads are interesting uh, because, you know, on one level, they're kind of a blank slate. You know what I mean? Often there's not a lot on these roads, but they're they're kind of like a place where legends can be ascribed to them. They're also very accessible. In many ways, they're often the most, I call it, the most democratic of haunted places. Because unless it's private property, you're allowed to be there. So more people go to these places. You know, it, it's not like, you know, maybe a haunted house or a mansion or something. You get special permission to be there. If it's, uh, you know, a cemetery, technically you're supposed to be out after dusk. You know, there's a whole variety of kind of regulations and restrictions on other places. But anybody can get in a car and drive out to a road. 
if you can find it, of course. Right. But right. The, these roads, you know, and they also represent, I mean, the roads themselves represent a journey. One thing we noticed when researching these was that many of them become very popular. I mean, legends kind of predate the 1950s, but many of them become very popular kind of during the birth of like car culture in America in the 50s, where teenagers have mobility for the first time and uh, spending cash and they don't have to work to support the family. Rather, their, their income is extra income. So they have time to go out and drive around on Friday and Saturday nights and their friends, you know, with their friends or their girlfriend, they go out and they find these places they heard stories about. And they go on what folklore is called legend trips, you know, which has become a pretty common term now. It used to not be, but uh, people kind of know what the legend trip is. It's a journey to find the supernatural and interact with it. Right. And that's really at the core of many of these legends. And they kind of, uh, as more people go there, it seems like they, they accumulate more legends. Like they might start off with one legend about a road. I think virtually all the the uh, roads you talk about in the book have multiple things associated with them. Yes, there's, there's, as time goes on, you see these kind of layers pile on top of each other. It's kind of like, uh, in, in many ways, you could compare it to archaeology with like sediments, you know. And you just kind of, as you dig down, you see these layers of things that have piled up. And the interesting thing is these layers kind of, the, the legends, you know, there, there may be historical truth to them. There may not be, depending on which story it is. There's usually at least often something that's true. But uh, then you see how they kind of change and adapt over time, reacting to things going on in society, you know, what the kind of contemporary fear is. But then there's many of them have key points that just kind of stay throughout the history of the road. But you do see uh, I know there's there's you know, we'll probably talk about things like this later. But I know there's one road near me growing up. It's called its real name is Irwin Road, but they call it Bloomist Road. And it's like this cross section of kind of changes in American society over 20 years like of, of uh, or 30 years of kind of social threats and, and you can map it very well so yeah these roads do evolve the legends and sometimes they circle back and sometimes they don't they turn into something else the amazing thing is just how many people have different stories about these uh, and you know the things that get applied to these places <clears throat> and, and as we, i think you, you mentioned earlier these roads are really what they call you know liminal spaces at least when they start you know, for for our purposes, we'll say a liminal space is uh, kind of a place of transition. You know, in this case, a physical place of transition, but it might also be kind of psychological or sociological transition. You know, and often, like now, development is spread out. Like out here in Western Pennsylvania, some of these roads that back in the '70s were pretty rural or on the edge of the rural area are now developed. But you know, initially they were kind of on the fringe between like the edge of the suburbs and rural areas. And they were in these ill-defined places or often maybe near old industrial ruins or something like that, that they, they kind of were on the periphery of your daily world. So they were this place of kind of transition and mystery for people that didn't go there. And so naturally that kind of encourages the, the growth of these legends. And stranger things seem to happen there, and strange things seem possible there. I noticed a, a portion, and I'm whatever percentage of the roads in your book, I forget, but quite a few of them had either portions closed or the roads themselves were, were closed. Parts of the roads were closed. I think that kind of tends to pile on the mystery as well. Yes. That there's some kind of uh, you know, restriction or reason. And often like, you know, uh, I've seen in the roads where once a road gets closed, often it's, you know, there's a mundane reason technically that it's not being used anymore. It's, you know, there's no money to maintain it or something. But often that adds this layer of, you know, the, the, the idea that it's been closed for a reason, you know, because there's danger there or 
something's being covered up. Yeah, even, even uh, if it's not explicitly stated in the legend, I think the idea of a closed road just symbolically just adds this other layer to, to the uh, to the stories. Yeah, and that whole kind of sense of something is forbidden back there, you're not supposed to go there, so it makes it that much more tempting for people that are out searching for things. As far as just roads in general, American folklore, the one thing that you know immediately pops to my mind is is the old you know Robert Johnson crossroad blues things you know where you, yeah. you met the devil at the crossroads. Yeah, and the, you know interesting thing with m- many of these uh, these roads, I mean many some many of them do end up coming to a crossroads. Almost all of them had a stream or a you know a waterway running either under them, like at some point crossing them or running beside them. That was uh, you noticed. I was going to get to that question. That was the last question on my list. So let's talk about that now. Running water is a feature that I find constantly along these, you know, supposedly haunted places. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't think of one that doesn't have a stream next to it or, uh, you know, something like that. You know, and you see lots of roads that don't have anything next to them. But I never find one of these stories where there's not running water nearby like that's, immediately nearby or passing under the road at some point that's so and usually the, usually the place where it crosses is often the key area where the most things happen to you know or at least alleged to have happened right uh, and that's yeah, that is interesting it's a tie you know and often many of them also have you know or, or have a cemetery if if not directly on the road somewhere nearby although the cemeteries often are not the key in the story you know many many, many of the happenings at least I've found, tend to be near the kind of intersection with that water or near the water somewhere. That's really interesting and just ties in completely with, with all the other research I've done in regards to, you know, ghosts, UFOs, cryptids. It's almost always near some sort of running water. That's one of the questions I ask people if they give me a report or anything. What, mm-hmm. what creek were you near? I haven't had anybody say, no, I wasn't near any creek so far. It's if they don't list one, it's just because they don't know the name of it. But they say, oh, yeah, there is a creek there. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating how, how all that. And you know, I didn't even realize that as I was, you know, I've been collecting these stories for years. But as I was writing this book, I'm like, you know, what? every one of these stories where something weird happens, there's running water right next to it. Or like uh, there's there's one road in Washington County called Shades of Death Road, like right where the creek cuts under the road is is where everything supposedly at least lots of things are supposed to happen and it's it's pretty interesting support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you they focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully preserve their wealth and provide for the people causes and communities they care about as one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. A haunted road versus, say, a road with a haunted house along it. Just kind of give people an idea. It's the road itself where the supernatural events are supposed to happen. It's not necessarily a road that leads to a haunted house or a road that leads to you know some other haunted feature. Yeah, it's the roads themselves. And often uh, there often are structures along the roads that are brought into the legend or ruins of structures. But I think mainly it is it's the road. It pretty much, you know, most of the legends I've come across where it, it and it, it seems to indicate, you know, like you can be, although there are areas of concentration, you can be pretty much anywhere on the road and have something weird happen. But it is, is in fact, like kind of the road or traveling down the road that kind of provokes whatever supernatural response you're going to trigger. And, you know, and often like in kind of on legend trips, you have to do something too. You know, I mean, there's often something required of you, some kind of almost ritual activity. Uh, you know, on some legends, you, you have to park your car in a certain spot or blow your car horn three times or put your keys on the hood you know, kind of the typical urban legend type stuff but you know there's many cases where um weird things still happen without doing that so do you have a sort of a favorite road or a favorite story from your book or one that stands out more than others for you yeah my favorite story is the one i heard all growing up i i uh, went to a high school out here called north hills high school in, in just north of pittsburgh and uh all growing up, I heard these stories of this road out near North Park, which is a really big county park in Allegheny County, really nice park. And right on the edge of it was a road that this real name was Irwin Road that had been closed for many years. You could drive down maybe the, the whole road's made about two and a half miles long. You can drive down the first third of it, and then there's a metal barrier. The middle mile and a half is completely closed and, and basically has become a walking trail now. And the final third is basically a neighborhood still. Or fine enough, really not a third, maybe 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 the last half mile. But then right across the street from the end of that is an old cemetery. So the first part is just maintained by the county, and there's there's one house way off the road. That, that The only reason they maintain the road is because there's really one house way off there, and the driveway for that house is about a mile long, it seems like. Uh, so it seems like there's nothing there. But people would, uh, for years when I was in high school, I'd hear these stories um, about the road. Now, the first stories I actually heard are interesting because I heard that I had this image in my mind of almost like an evil timeshare. Uh, that <laughs> satanic cults were using the road, but also the Ku Klux Klan used the road to kill people. And it, essentially, the story was that you know that all of their victims haunted the roads, their ghosts of their victims. Plus, there was the real physical danger from either of those groups. So, what year would uh, that have been? Were, that would have been like 1988, 89. Okay, so right kind of um, in that satanic panic. The satanic panic, yeah, right at the height of that. Yeah. Uh, but earlier the stories I'd heard, I'd heard that the tombstones, and there's a set of tombstones in the cemetery uh, across at the far end, and supposedly they would they were leaning toward each other, and every, every month if you went during the full moon, the night of the full moon, you'd see them touch at midnight, which was a pretty you know, harmless legend. But the original story about the road uh, emerged in the early 70s, and that was the story of a car accident. And I had heard this as well, where a family was driving down the road, and they were 
killed either by a drunk driver or because a deer ran in front of them. They went off the narrow road, wrecked their car into a tree, and they all died. And back when the road was open, in the early 70s it was still open, you could supposedly drive your car down to the spot if you could figure out where it was, put it in neutral, and the ghost would push your car away from the scene of the accident. Now, that's kind of a variation of a common common legend. What I discovered, though, actually interesting, you know, in North Park, not far from there, there is actually like a gravity hill. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with gravity hills. They kind yeah. of op- optical illusions where it looks like you're rolling uphill. Right. We have a couple but, around York County. Yeah. Sure. But back in the pre-internet days, you know, people, they, they weren't very specific. And now we just type it in and look it up. You know what I mean? But back then it was word of mouth. So people conflated the gravity hill with Blue Mist Road. And so it would look like your car was rolling uphill in a certain spot or at least you know, on this gravity hill and people thought a ghost was pushing it. So the stories kind of merged, I think. Uh, we did find though there was really a car accident uh, back in, it took years, but we finally found one in 1973, right at the mouth of the road, however, where it meets this much busier road. And a woman was in a car with her children and she was killed. The children survived. But so there, there really was probably a car accident story that inspired this original legend. But over time, you know, you see a shift in American culture starting in the mid-70s where you start to see more of a focus. There's really a conservative shift. And you start to see more of a focus on threats to children, concerned about cults and serial killers and things like that, you know, kind of take over the media. That's when, like, the Halloween candy scares were big, you know, the the famous Candyman case and things like that. So, you know. The legends, I noticed a lot of these legends take a darker turn starting in the mid-70s. And one of the first things, of course, that happens, the, I, I kind of traced what I did is I tried to find people that heard the legends at different times over decades. And then I kind of tried to re- recreate the kind of the evolution of the stories. And find, you know, most people in the 70s hadn't heard about the satanic cults. They did hear the Ku Klux Klan was on the road in the mid-70s. And supposedly they would lynch people at a specific tree called the hanging tree. And you could find the hanging tree because during a full moon, it would allegedly bleed. So, you know, people, there were all the stories, you know, kind of the classic urban legend where the car dies under the tree. You know, somebody, you know, husband and wife are driving, the car breaks down. The husband gets out, says he has to go walk and get help, leaves the wife in the car, walks away. He never comes back. Eventually, the wife hears scraping on the roof. She gets out and finds her husband hanging from, the, their car died under the hanging tree, and he's hanging there with his, feet or his fingertips just scraping the hood of the you know the trunk or the top of the car right and of course she runs off scared down the road and we're not sure whoever tells the story she's never seen again but you know um but you know there's variations of that story all over the place when we looked at that i mean i noticed like in western pa these clan legends of ku klux klan members at these haunted places i found about 15 other places where they allegedly were and most of those stories date to the mid-70s they were all kind of in these outer suburbs and I thought it was maybe some kind of folkloric reaction to the civil rights movement, but you think that that might be kind of earlier in like the 60s. But the reality is, is that's around the time, the mid-70s, like where it, that kind of thing kind of rolled out to the edges of the suburbs, you know, where, where they were starting to deal with those issues. So, you know, it's something you can't ever really prove, but it probably had some kind of influence. There was, I did research, and the, there was never anyone lynched on that road, although there may have been suicides, and that might have inspired someone hanging from a tree. Right. But then, you know, in the 1980s and in two different waves, in the early 80s, around 1980, 81, right around the time that book Michelle Remembers came out, which kind of sparked the satanic panic, and then in 88, 89, there were two big waves of uh, allegedly you know, satanic activity in western Pennsylvania. 
especially in like 88, 89, which was right when I heard the legends, there, there were stories about cults occupying the road and sacrificing victims. And I would always hear that, you know, some, some kid from another school district would disappear out on the road. Of course, in the pre-internet days, we couldn't go and just look that up and see if it was true. Right. Uh, but it made it more mysterious. And, you know, I even had teachers that would tell us, don't go out to that road just in case, you know, that I heard some kid disappeared out there and the Satanists are real. Which, of course, made everyone want to go out and see what was out there um, as a teenager, you know. But, uh, you know, you'd go out and something weird would always happen every time. But people claimed they saw people in hoods. Uh, there's actually an old ruined structure up off the road, which ironically was an old Bible camp in the 30s. And uh, it was like a two or three story stone structure, which eventually collapsed because kids partied in it too much in the 70s. And I think they set the inside on fire. Mm. But by the 80s, that was forgotten and it had collapsed in, uh, on itself. And so there was these ruins up there and, and like ruins of an old stone well and everything. And we heard stories that sacrificed babies in the well, you know, and that they summoned the devil himself and he was walking around. And people would supposedly find bipedal hoof prints, you know, either cloven feet or whatever on the road. And sure enough, I went out there and saw them, too. Uh, it looked like bipedal prints if if you're only looking at the back of the front legs of a deer, you know. Right. Um, but also the road is, you know, the road was still, there's enough pavement left on the road that actually, like, if I walk down the road on a muddy, muddy day, you will only see half my tracks, you know, because some of it's covered in mud, some of it's still concrete. So there's logical reasons why that would be. But people would also claim to find slaughtered animals, you know, ritually sacrificed animals, pentagrams, uh, you know, satanic messages. When I was working to do this, to get this book done, uh, my wife and I took a walk down the road. And sure enough, it seemed like perfect. There's somebody had freshly spray painted a 666 on the road. So we took a picture of it for the book. I swear it wasn't me. <laughs> it was, I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, this is perfect. Because there was a lot of graffiti there in the 80s, but not as much uh, in the 90s, but not as much now. But these, you know, these stories continued to evolve uh, throughout the 90s. And, uh, you know, later there'd be kind of stories that there was a midget village out there somewhere, uh, which was kind of stolen from a, a legend from more, more out in eastern Pennsylvania. I know there was an old, allegedly, they, they would call the Midget Town, which actually was a home to several retired circus performers. But it inspired all kinds of legends. Even the, the tombstone legend changed, though, in the mid-90s. And it went from being this kind of innocuous legend of the stones touching under a full moon. And the stones were husband and wife. Yeah, it reminds me of that there's a, a folk song, well, several folk songs in which, you know, two kind of ill-fated lovers both die one way or another. And a, they, a rose will grow from one tombstone, a briar from the other, and they'll, they'll wrap around each other and form, which they call the true love knot. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very similar, these, these two tombstones just kind of touching each other. It's almost a romantic kind of thing. But yeah, it, yeah. it got a little oh, bit it, scarier. Yeah, it got scarier in the mid-90s because as we approached the year 2000, the story changed. It's interesting, and all the, almost all the any younger person I recorded the story from that heard it from about 1994 to about 2001 heard that the stones don't touch, they didn't hear about them touching under full moon, that they heard that they're slowly inching closer and closer together. And when they do touch the whirlwind, and of course that was as we approached the year 2000 and quickly the legend reverted back after. Right. <clears throat> but, um, the stones do lean toward each other. I mean, that that's real. It's because the ground is sinking between them. 
you know, if you go there, you do in fact see leaning tombstones. That was uh, one of the most interesting things, at least about that story. I thought in the book because you don't often get the the notion that these sort of local legends have you know a worldwide effect. And and here's a, a very kind of local. I'd never heard it before. These tombstones are going to touch and the and the world will end. I thought it was a pretty uh, big scope for a local legend. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was really kind of beyond the normal. Uh, yeah, what, what you normally think. Yeah, and so you know, then then you know, as it, as you got into the two thousands. Uh, what happened is, you know, as all the ghost hunting shows came on TV, people kind of flooded out to the road looking for the ghosts of, you know, the cult victims, the cult members themselves, anything they summoned, the victims of the Ku Klux Klan, the original car accident ghosts, and, of course, going to see the tombstones and anything else weird that would ever happen. And, of course, you know, most of this le- most of this story is urban legend. However, every time I go out there, something weird happens anyway. You know, it's one of those things where like, you think it's all explainable and then something always, always happens. One time, I take my class on folklore out there often, and I'll, I'll uh, probably rather sadistically walk them out in daylight. I, time it, I see what time the sun's going down that day. So we walk the whole length of the road while the sun's going down, and we get to the far end of the road. Right when the sun goes down, so we have to walk back in the dark to get the full legend trip experience, you know. <laughs> and um, we were walking back. We were about halfway back. We were in the middle of nowhere. Like it's the most. It was the most remote part of the road. And it was a place where the terrain on the side was pretty swampy and difficult to access, and that's where the stream ran. As we're walking back, uh, some of the people stopped and they heard this noise. So we shined the flashlights down toward the stream, and there was this dog running back and forth through the stream, just like running through it, turning around, running back, turning around, running back. He had no visible collar on, just back and forth, like a broken record. He just kept going back and forth and back and forth. Then we noticed there was a pair of feet and two pairs of feet. So we kind of shined the light, excuse me, we shined the light over and then kind of raised it slowly. And there's this older couple there, I would guess would be at least in their 60s, possibly 70s. And at first, I was thinking, how'd they even get down there? Like, I would have had a hard time, you know, maneuvering down there. And they're at least a, a mile or a mile and a half from any house in any direction, you know, and they're staying in the swampy area. And as it, it, it reminded me of like a modern version of the American Gothic painting, if you've ever seen that, you know, the, right. the farmer wife with a pitchfork, just very stern and, and uh, very, and they were standing perfectly still. As the flashlight came up to the, their face, the, the man said in this completely monotone, creepy voice, could you please turn out the light? <laughs> and so we shut the light out, which everybody walked really fast down the road. <laughs> everybody looking behind them the whole way. To this day, I still can't figure out how those how they got down there. You know, the dog wasn't on the leash. I don't know what was going on. It was If, if they were just a regular couple on a nighttime walk, they were pretty ambitious. But, uh, you know, weird things will happen all the time out there, which is why people still go, even though it's, you know, many parts are obviously urban legend. The story about the old couple I read in the book, that was, I think, my favorite part of the whole book. Just that little detail is just so odd. I love those little, just those weird things that will happen at these places that that maybe aren't even necessarily talked about in the legends. but yeah. the, But they just seem to happen when you're exploring these things. Are you working on anything now, a new book or anything? I'm working on a, uh, a, a, a book 
it's uh, about it's a book called The Witch of the Monongahela, and it's about kind of folk magic and divination in southwestern Pennsylvania in the early years. And it, it focuses on this one legends about this one witch in particular uh, named Mal Derry. But I've written about her before, but I'm going to try to go a lot deeper into the story and and uh, you know kind of look at those witchcraft traditions. And she was a, a German, so it would be similar to the, the, the traditions that would exist in South Central Pennsylvania, actually throughout the state. The whole state's full of those. German kind of folk healing, folk magic, witchcraft traditions. Uh, and so um, I'm trying to focus on that right now and, and uh, try to pull some of that together. But there's, there's a lot of fascinating stuff. I have about 30 ideas for books I'd like to write, but <laughs> at the time is the, sure. the hard part. I'd definitely uh, like to talk to you some more about that. That would fall in very well with things we were uh, doing on the podcast here. I'd like to thank you for your time. The book, again, is Haunted Roads of Western Pennsylvania. You wrote that with another author? Yeah, my uh, good friend, Tony Lavorni. He's helped me do research a lot over the years, and we worked on this one together, uh, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, traveled all these roads again, tested all the all the legend trips and uh, rituals. And oh, everything. so you did visit each each one of the locations? Yes, yes. Yeah, see, I think that's very important. I always try to try to get on site when I, when I look at these things. Yeah, it does give you a whole different perspective, and you really kind of get a, get a much better sense of what's going on. Oh yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Oh yeah, sure, thanks. thanks. Thanks for coming on. We'll we'll have you back to talk about uh, witchcraft in Pennsylvania. Um, sure, I could probably make a series on that one because I'd like to uh, get deep into that. But uh, the book we talked about today was Haunted Road to Western Pennsylvania, and thank you, Thomas White. Thanks. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, LLC. Music, art, podcast, books, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. That's our band. You can find us at Stonebreath.Bandcamp.com
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.